you have a Bible, open up with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. I want us to begin by recapping very quickly what we saw from Genesis chapter 2. I'll do it this way. We saw Adam and Eve, the crown of God's creation, placed by God in the Garden of Eden. Eden, the very word meaning happiness. They were placed in the Garden of Happiness. And they were given a job, and their job was to what? It was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, if you don't understand what that means, Keith is going to answer at the end of the service, so you can see him. But you more than likely have it figured out, and so they were told to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and to subdue it. Uh, To subdue is a word that we don't use very often, but what they were asked to do by the Lord, commissioned by the Lord to do, they were invited to take what he made, to take the garden in which he gave them and to work the garden and to expand the garden out into the world. Adam and Eve were, we could say, like a king and a queen in a world that was ruled and inhabited by God. The God who reigned over it all. See, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they loved one another. And they found joy in all that they did. They loved life. Can you imagine what your relationships would be like without baggage? Can you imagine what your relationships would be like without anything hidden in the closet? without any past, without any regrets. Can you imagine what it would be like without selfishness? Adam and Eve loved one another and they loved God. They lived their life with and unto God for his glory and their own pleasure. kind of stole this from my friend David Keziah. But I love what he said and the way that he said it is they had a job. They were to commune with God. They were to enjoy community with one another. And they were to fulfill the commission that was given. They had it going on. But then Genesis 3 happened. And for us, it's going to happen today. And here's what we need to understand. Everything is going to change. But not just for them. Everything is going to change for all of human history and for the entire world. Look with me there at chapter 3. And we're going to kind of build in because we want to see first. And if you have an outline, please, please take that out. I gave you tons of room to take notes. You need to take notes. Be a note taker. Be a student. Students, okay, I know you're done with school, but take notes, okay? That's what we're going to do today. And so Genesis 2, leading up to our passage, I want to point something out to you, and it is the way that God has written to us. Yes, through Moses, but this is God writing to us in Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to see how he described himself. 
In chapter two, verse four, we see that it says, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That word Lord, it should be all caps in your Bible. And you may be a Bible scholar and you know exactly what that means, but that means the name Yahweh. Yahweh. The word next to it, God, that is the word Elohim. The word Yahweh is the personal name of God. It tells us something about God that we need to recognize here in this text. And it's that God is good. I want you to say that with me. This tells us that God is, he's good. The word Elohim, it tells us that he's almighty, that he's all powerful. And what that word tells us is this, is that God is great. Okay, so now you're going to say it. Elohim teaches us that God is great. We're told in God's word by the very name that's given that God is not only great, but God is good. Okay, he tells us that over and over again. Look with me in verse Five, kind of in the mid there, it says, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain. Verse seven, then the Lord God formed the man. Verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden. Verse nine, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up. Verse 15, I hope I didn't skip one. I don't think I did. The Lord God took the man. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. Verse 18, the Lord God said. Verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God had formed. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man And we get down to chapter three and it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. All of these are telling us that God is good. God is great. He is both. He is personal and he is powerful. I want to point out before we go any further, somebody needs to hear this today. That when we read verse one of chapter three, now the serpent who we will identify as Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God did what? That he made. Even in the creation of Satan, You need to understand that God is both great and God is good. It can plague the mind. It has plagued mine many times. But God is good in all that he does. He's good in chapter one. He's good in chapter two. He's good in chapter three. He's good from Genesis to maps. He's good today. He's good. And he's great. What I want you to do is let's move into our text today and we're going to walk through uh, the fall of man. I want you to see first, I want you to see, we're going to think of a word, rebellion. Think of the word rebellion. And what we're going to see here is just take a look at the very event of the fall. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God, you see what happened there? 
So what's been happening the whole entire time, very intentionally by God as he has given this to us, we see that he is both personal and powerful, that he is both great and he's good. Satan comes up and says, did the powerful God actually say? Did that great God who's not good, did he, did he actually say? He said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, what kind of question is that? Like, you understand, like, like they've been eating. It's not like he doesn't know that she hasn't been eating from every place in the garden except for one place. But he comes up and he says, did God say you can't eat any off of any tree here? Did he actually say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees? This is called sarcasm. And it's annoying. I was born with it. Okay, like you, you just have it. And, and, and he said, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman, Eve, she actually is going to respond pretty well here. She said to the serpent, well, no, we, we may eat of the tree, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But, oh, no. But God, oh man, where did Yahweh go? But, but the powerful God, he did actually commit a party foul. He, he did actually say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you, and she adds to God's word, touch it, lest you die. Now, we need to see what's happening here. You may or may not be aware. You may have come into this room, and when you think of the fall, you think about an apple on a tree, and you think about some mysterious, magical apple that when you eat a bite, it turned poison, and it got in them, and it was like a fairy tale uh, that made them sinful forever. This is not about the fruit. It's not about the fruit. That's not what this is about. This is about the questioning of the very goodness of God. See, Satan's first thing, and he's a deceiver. He comes in and he asks a question. I don't understand how this worked, people. Okay, I don't understand how a serpent's talking. And they, did all the animals talk? I don't know. Will they talk in new heaven and new earth? Who knows? Okay, well, I don't know. It didn't seem odd to have a conversation with the serpent. But she's talking to the serpent, and the serpent says, did, did God actually say that? And she said, no, 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 God didn't say that. He said that we could eat off of any of the trees. Oh, shoot, except, man, that one rule. He did say we couldn't eat off of that tree. And all of a sudden, what happened? It wasn't just doubt. It was a particular kind of doubt that every single one of you struggle with. And it was Satan came in and he tempted her to doubt the very goodness and the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of God. That's really what we do every time we sin. See, what happened was Satan says, hey, listen, did you know that you're missing out? Did you know that God totally made one rule up. By the way, it was just one rule. But he's wrecked the party. 
He's like a cosmic party pooper. You see what he did there? You can't even eat that fruit and it's here. I can't believe God would do that. He's powerful, Eve. But is he good? Uh, Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, oh, here it goes. You, You won't die. You surely will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and then it was the delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And do not think that Adam is out of the picture here. He's not. He's just sitting there passive. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. That's how it happened. It was fairly simple. They had this life that they lived, walking with God, loving one another, perfect fellowship. There was never a time they didn't worship God. But then the serpent comes up and says, hey, but is God really good? I mean, did you know that he's actually holding out on you? Did you know that you could actually be like God? There it was. You can be God. And she said, that's what I've always wanted. I want to know what he knows. I want to be like him. And she ate. See, what happened in the rebellion is this. It's the attempt to live life apart from God. But yet it's also the attempt to be God ourselves. That's the rebellion. You probably realize this, but sin makes great promises to us. But you know what sin doesn't do? Fulfill them. Now, what I did not say, and I need you to hear me say this. Sometimes you need a pastor to say this to you. I'm not saying that sin's never fun. If you've had a pastor tell you that, they were lying to you. Like there's, there's plenty of ways that sin can be fun. If you haven't had fun while sinning before, you didn't do it right. Okay, like you, you, can, you can sin and it's fun when you're doing it. It makes sense at the time to sin. Sometimes the most fun thing you can do is just put down another person. Me and my friends, I remember in high school, we used to just spend, we'd spend nights. We'd just be like, okay, now it's your turn, Colby. Knock me down. Make fun of me till I cry. And then I'm going to slam you. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Like, it was fun. Like, it was like, this is hilarious. This is cool. Until you realize it's not. Sin promises. Great things. How many of you would say, oh yeah, I remember that time that sin promised me great things on the computer. I remember when sin promised me great things with that guy or with that girl. I remember when sin promised me great things when I held that bottle. But then you remember, oh yeah, it didn't fulfill me. It broke me. So we don't not only need to see rebellion here, we need to see reality. Look with me at verse Seven. 
Remember what he said. The serpent said, no, no, you won't die, Eve. God's a liar. He told you that because he wants to be powerful and not you. He just wants to be head over everything. If you eat this, you'll be like him. You'll, you'll know good and evil. And she says, okay, well, this is good. And she ate and then sin destroyed. And guess what? It wasn't what they thought it would be like. See, now the reality has crept in and let's see how they respond. Let's see if they look like the awesome, powerful, good God of the Bible. No, it says she took, she ate of the fruit. She gave some to her husband. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. How'd that work for them? See, this is when the historical event of loincloth making came into be. This is when all of us began from that time on learning how to try to put fig leaves on ourselves to cover up our nakedness. And I will tell you right here, God's word says it very clearly. It does not, it will never work. But they tried. See, what about that reality? You're going to be just like God. (laughs) No, they're not. No. See, what we were given there was this, is the ability to, for ourselves, decipher what is good and what's evil. Uh, Everybody thought I was joking a a couple weeks ago. I said that we were going to start going through Judges on Wednesday night. Everybody was like, oh, that's hilarious, Colby. No, I was serious. Okay, we're we're really going to go through Judges on Wednesday night. Judges has a line in it that we need to know. It says there was no king in the land. And every single person, they did what? They did what was right in their own eyes. Oh, that's a plague. That's a plague. You and I, given the opportunity to name what's good, we pervert it. You give us the opportunity to say what's evil, we'll condone it. That's what our culture does. And that's what we do. As we point fingers at people, by the way, how they do it, guess what? You do it too. I know you're like, Colby, thanks today. This is awesome. No, but, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like we, we do this. The reality. Uh, I don't think it's difficult for you to understand the evidence of the fall. Uh, we, we look on, you know, actually, let me, let me make this point. I read an article last week and, and it was on how there was no need. There's no need for God. That was the article. There's no need for God. God is fading out, they said. 2015, all of our ability to seek out promises from the internet and everything. We don't need God anymore. That's what he says. He says, only when we experience pain and hurt do we try to cling to that crutch. He said, if we were all happy and healthy, we would see no need for God. And the worst thing that could happen, this man said, was that pain would creep in. That guy is an absolute fool. Does he look at the news? Like this past week, 
Within the last couple of weeks, we have had an earthquake take out thousands. We celebrated last week, which we didn't really do here, actually, but other churches around us were, but we forgot to even say something about the tornadoes. That's when you know that you're moving forward, I guess, which is a good thing. But we need to look back and say, thank you, Lord, for protecting us and keeping us and making us even who we are today. Thank you for this building. We need to do that. But we can look back and see a tornado and realize, yeah, everything's not okay. Baltimore's like burning this week. Why? For another evidence of the fall because of racism and violence. We've got things that are taking place that are corrupt, and then we've got responses to the corruption that are just as bad or worse. It's evidence of the fall. And then what about in us? What about evidence of the fall in you? I love G.K. Chesterton. He was, he's just one of my favorite writers, uh, great writer and theologian. He was asked by the Times of London to write a response to the question, what is wrong with the world? I love his response. He said, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. See, he got it. You, you see, like he understood. But sometimes we don't. Adam and Eve certainly did not. And so we see complete breakage take place here in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at what happens here, and and you're going to see a a breakage in relationships, and I want to talk to you about how that looks. It's going to look like this. Take notes here. Is that we see broken relationships exist here fourfold with God, with oneself, with one another, and with the rest of creation. We're going to see This break, I love, I'm like, y'all write this down. Nobody writes, but that's okay. Uh, So you have a need from this point. The reality at this point is that we're all broken. Let's look at how this is played out here in the garden. We certainly have a broken relationship with God and man, with God and Adam and Eve. Probably the saddest verse that I can think of in this entire portion of scripture is found in verse eight. I'm gonna read it twice. I'm going to read it fairly slow, and I want to see if you feel the hurt here. It says, And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves. From what? From the very presence of God. How can it get much more heartbreaking than that? Remember, God created us, one for community. Community with himself. Join in with the triune God. God, who was in community with himself for all of eternity prior to the creation, and then he creates us and says, you can join in with me. And yet, what do they do? First effect that we see there of sin, they break apart from God. They hide from God. 
What about relationship to self? How has it changed? Oh, they tried to cover themselves up. They were ashamed. I love the way chapter two ends. I'm not trying to be funny. I I love the way chapter two ends. They were both naked and they were not ashamed. That is supposed to be a a, a very uh, beautiful line for us in scripture. This is, there was no effect of the fall at this point, but then the first thing that happens, they break away from God and they feel shame. Now, I wonder if you were honest today, one, how many of you today, you came in here wearing shame? One of the things that we have a problem with as a church sometimes is that we come in and we try to look like we have no baggage, no shame, no guilt, no regret. We try to walk in and you know those short conversations you have with people, which by the way, I have them all the time. Okay. So I'm certainly not pointing fingers. And just because of time, it's, it's difficult to have much more a lot of the time. But you walk by somebody and you say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. It's going great. Everything's cool. Family's good. Yeah, girls are awesome. That kind of thing. And then I walk right by you and, and, and then we go our separate ways. You have those conversations, you know, 20, 30 times every Sunday. And that's going to happen when you have this amount of people in one place. But what we tend to do is this, is we try to come in. And what we're trying to do as we walk in the door sometimes is get clothes. Get clothes to cover ourselves. And so we come in and we try to blend in or hide until we can hopefully get some clothes on. And that's what we try to do. We don't want anybody to see our shame. I I told a story not that long ago. I I remember a student at one point who every single time he would be under the teaching of God's word, he would go to one book of the Bible. He'd go to Revelation chapter 21. He'd look at them thrown in the lake of fire. He would think about, as he looked at that text, it said that sexual uh, that, that, the, that the sexual immoral was in the lake of fire. When he was a kid, he had been sexually molested. And he felt like he could never enter the kingdom of God because something that was done to him. Every time he walked in the doors, he felt shame. I've seen people walk by and uh, weeks after a divorce, months after a divorce, and they kind of hide their hands so you don't ask them that question. I had a friend that he wore a wedding ring three months after he was divorced. How's your marriage? Oh, it's good, man. It's good. Everybody has Facebook. We know it's not good. We know you're not married. How are you going to act like you're married? Because of shame. Because of shame. This is the evidence of the fall. This is what we do. We have a broken relationship with God. We have a broken relationship with self. We have a broken relationship with one another. You you see it in the scripture? Did, Did you eat off the fruit? The woman told me to do it. Man, immediately, a break in the relationship that was once so filled with love and with no baggage. Now, look what happened. And then we'll see really next week, we'll see this breakage with not only God, not only with self, not only with one another, but the, the rest of creation. This lost sense of purpose. You ever been there? 
Oh, look, you act like you had, and I've talked to some of you, I know. When that thing didn't go the way that you thought it would, when everything seemed like it got ripped out from under you, when the relationship broke, you lost the job, you did whatever, all of a sudden you feel worthless. That's the problem a lot of times with poverty. You go into a, a, a poverty situation, you try to give people food, and you think that's going to fix everything, but their problem is they couldn't provide. And so they're broken. See, the rest of creation, it gets destroyed in our minds, our sense of purpose, our commission, what we were called to do is now wiped away in our hearts because of the fall. To go back to David Keziah, three points. He said, we have a breaking communion, community, commission. So what we need to do now is move into the last section of the day. It's the part of the day where we celebrate gospel. And we see here in the midst of the garden, we see the gospel there in the garden as the Lord pursues them. I want you to see reconciliation. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and he said to them, where, where are you? Where are you? Do you see what God's doing? Like, do you think God didn't know where they were? They're over there hiding with their fig leaves on. You think he doesn't know where they are? And I'm really not trying to make, I guess I am making light. I'm not making light of the actual text here, but they're hiding with their fig leaves from God. You know, ask Jonah, how'd that go, man? (laughs) Did it go well? Uh, Like, you can't really hide from the Lord. The Lord, when he desires to pursue somebody, guess what? He finds them. Lord pursued them in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Do you know the Lord, he pursues us? I, I remember 18 years old, about as uh, arrogant as a person can be, by the way. And if you look back at my 18-year-old pictures, you'd be like, you were arrogant? What? Um, but I, I was so arrogant, so arrogant. You know, every, everywhere you go. Do, do they think I was funny? Did they, did they laugh when I said that? They think I was cool. I hope so. Cause I was, you know, that, that kind of like, that's literally, that's arrogant. I don't need this truth. I don't need, uh, this church. I don't need community. I've got plenty of community as much as I want. Have you seen my friends? Like shallow, but that was real heart of your pastor. 18 years old. Had a wonderful girlfriend, by the way. She's my wife. Okay, she's, she got to go on a little friend retreat and left me with the kids this weekend. It's been awesome. <laughs> we slept well. Um, yeah. So anyway, it really has been awesome. I love my kids. Uh, and they, they really did go to sleep at midnight. But uh, so don't tell Catherine. I insinuated it was nine. No, I didn't. I said it. No, so 18 years old. Catherine, in my life, she was a little Pharisee. She was a big Pharisee. And then there was me, and I was a little prodigal, a big prodigal. And God did a work in us for a number of years that was just remarkable. Why? Because we just went running for him? No. 
Because through so many different people in so many different ways and through people who sacrificed time and pastors who loved and the grace of God, he pursued me. He pursued me. And I remember thinking to myself, what have I done? What have I done for all of these years? Why have I used my ability to communicate, to bring people down? Why have I used my ability to lead, to lead people to sin? And then all of a sudden God said, hey, what if you, what if you use those abilities rightly? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. He restored not only a relationship with me, with him, not only a relationship with me, with who I was meant to be and created for, not only with people, with others, but he changed the way he reconciled, he saved me, he helped me to understand the right relationship with the rest of creation. And that's what he's doing here. That's what he's doing in your life. That's what he's here to do today. So we want to consider reconciliation here. So he says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And Adam said, I was afraid. Why? He said, because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to, uh, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. It's her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me. Reality. But God came and He pursued them. And in the midst of all of this mess, we're going to look next week at verses 14 to the end of the chapter. And in the midst of this mess, God is going to give the curse. Okay, this is now what breaking looks like. This is what a broken world looks like. Now, here are the consequences and the curse that came because of your sin. He gives them that. But in the midst even of the curse, God gives a promise. A promise of one who would come, who would come through Eve. He said, Eve, I'm not done with you and Adam. I'm not done with you guys. I'm going to walk with you again. And I will be able one day to dwell with people again. Because I'm going to, through you, crush the head of that serpent. And we're going to follow that story from here until the very end when that serpent is tossed into the lake of fire. And the people of God, they win. And God comes and he dwells with us again. The tree is brought back and life is once again good. In fact, the very leaves of the tree are used to heal nations. See, God's a God who has the ability and the willingness to restore. So what you need to hear today is this. Wherever you are, in fact, I would say whoever You are. Anyone in this room, I want you to know that the word of God says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son. 
See, when we look at this text here and we see this promise of one that would come and crush the head of the serpent, when we continue reading and at the very end of this chapter, we're going to see God go hunting for Adam and Eve. First death takes place. He kills an animal. He takes the skin of the animal and he makes clothes for them. I want you to see the truth here is that God produced, I mean produced, God pursued them in their sin and shame. But you need to hear this church today is this, is that Christ came. He pursued. He took our sin and our shame. He gave his life for us. And he rose from the grave victorious over our sin, our death, our shame. God clothed them by his grace. We get to the New Testament and we see that Christ, the one that John the Baptist called what he said, look, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, he's here. And the Lamb of God who came, uh, he not only died for us, but those who were in Christ, we are covered, we are clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus himself. That is the gospel. For he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God. So I want to ask you if you would, we're going to respond here uh, right now. I'm going to ask if, if Frank, if, if you would Uh, if you would lead us. But here's what we're going to do. I need you, in accordance to God's word here, what we've seen today, I need you to be real before the Lord. And what that means is this, is you need to really check yourself all the way through because it's not enough. You may say, well, Kobe, I've got peace with God because I've believed in Christ. Okay, well, what about your purpose? Why are you anxious all the time? Why are you bitter all the time? Why are you so down on who God made you to be? Or let's flip the God complex here for a second. Maybe you say, well, I don't even need God anymore. I don't need him in this area of my life. I don't need him at work. I'm awesome. I've got tons of money. I'm doing great. I'm popular. I'm productive. Well, if that's you, that's another problem. And you need to understand today that we have to let the Lord define who we are. Because God has commissioned us, he has given us purpose. And when we try to look outside and we try to live our life outside of him, our view of who we are is greatly distorted. Today, church, some of you may need to come to the Lord and say, I need you to heal me. I see myself wrongly. When I see the Lord for who he is, I'll see myself for who I am. There's somebody else in the room that this is where you are. You've heard messages on forgiveness. You've heard messages on grace. You've heard that if you believe in Christ that you'll be forgiven, but you need to hear today this, you'll be accepted too. You're not only forgiven in the Lord, you're brought into his family. You say, nobody cares about me. The Lord does. The Lord's for you. He's not against you. How do I know? Because he sent his son. See, we need to understand not only who the Lord is in relation to us and be restored to him, not only who we were made to be and be restored to him, we also need to be restored to one another. If you sit in this room and you got bitterness against someone else, if you've been grumbling about somebody else, if you're separated from somebody else, if you are not reconciled to somebody else in this room, you need to be reconciled because the Lord loves you. He has made a way for you to be connected to him. Now you go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. And maybe you sit in this room today super lazy or super, super workaholic. 
Either way, you need a restored vision and view of what your purpose is and to be connected and restored to right relationship with the rest of creation. Because church, we got a lot of work that the Lord wants to do on us. He's making us into Christ, into the very image of Christ. And who we are today is not who we will finally be. Let's allow the Spirit of God to push us more to who he is making us today. Stand with me as I pray. Father, we love you. We ask that you would do a great work today. Would you bring people to yourself, Lord, as we are about to uh, partake of the table, as we are about to literally watch the gospel before our eyes and participate in a symbol of the gospel as we take the bread and as we drink the the juice lord as we think about the very body that was broken for us and the blood that was spilled lord may we seek to be restored by you lord i believe that you're here today and that you are saying to really everyone here today you're saying hey where are you where are you Lord, if we'll just look to you, you'll speak to us. You'll heal our hearts. You'll take care of us. You'll clothe us. Lord, may we leave today with the knowledge that we have been clothed by the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for a Savior. Thank you for a healing from the great fall. We look forward to the day when you make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.